Jason Bourne is my favorite action hero from the last 20 years. Three awesome movies. Born Identity, Born Supremacy, Born Ultimatum. Yes, I know there's a fourth, but we don't talk about that one. <laughs> now, if you're not familiar with the storyline, uh, the, the first movie begins with a man floating in the Mediterranean Sea, and he has no memory of who he was or how he got there. And then in the first movie, he quickly finds out that he is actually Jason Bourne, uh, a CIA-trained assassin. And then in the course of the three movies, he uncovers his true identity. That turns out he is actually David Webb, a young, impressionable, idealistic soldier who was manipulated into becoming Jason Bourne, the CIA-trained assassin. And so the entire trilogy is about this man confronting his hidden identity and trying to figure out what to do with all that. Well, that's a very popular storyline. <laughs> I mean, there are tons of movies with that storyline, right? In the Lego movie, you have Emmett Bukowski. He thinks he's an average construction worker, but it turns out he's the chosen one who's going to defeat Lord Business. Harry Potter finds out not only that he's a wizard, but he's actually the chosen one who's going to defeat Lord Voldemort. Neo in The Matrix has to embrace the prophecy that he is the one who's going to free humans from the machines. And then, of course, Rey in Star Wars, she has to go back and look at her past, embrace her identity, and figure out how to live that out. In all these stories, characters discover hidden identities, forgotten identities, and they have to figure out what to do with all that. It's Hollywood. It's all Hollywood. But here's the weird thing. The Bible says that what is true about these characters is true of all of us. Every single one of us humans, we are a people who have forgotten our identity. And unless we figure it out, we have no idea how to live. But before I keep going, let me introduce myself. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. And I want to welcome those of you who are in the room with me and those of you joining us by video in Tradition, Gospel Fusion, Downtown, Fitchburg, uh, big shout out to those of you who are watching online and those of you who are listening to our podcast. To the Chinese speakers, to the Spanish speakers, Now we are in the beginning few weeks of a brand new series called Live This Book. It is a big series. Uh, it's going all the way to the May of next year, and we're systematically reading through the Bible. And the big idea, one of the big ideas of the series is that the Bible is a story. It has a storyline. And this is a storyline that we want you to know and be able to tell others. So, roll clip. The story begins with a God who has a plan. He crafts a beautiful world for himself to be his domain. And he populates the world with beings called humans, creatures who resemble him. And God invites these humans into partnership with him by giving them the authority to run the world for him. But alas, these humans don't want to run the world for God. They want to run the world for themselves. So they rebel against God and the result is that the entire world falls into darkness, corruption, and death. But this is a determined God. He doesn't give up. He calls into existence a new people called ancient Israel, 
They are to be God's people, and God invites his people to partner with him on the mission, to live out God's character in order to attract the rebellious world back to him. But alas, God's people don't want this mission. They want to be like every other people, so they rebel against God, and God destroys ancient Israel and sends his people into exile. Again, this is a determined God. This time, he sends his own son, named Jesus, into the created world. Not just to be a human, but to be the king. Jesus recruits a people, those who are tired of this broken world, those who are yearning for a new way of being human. And Jesus dies to reconcile this new people to God and to each other. With his death on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus creates the new people of God called the church. This new people, drawn from every tribe, every nation, every ethnicity, are united in Jesus and are empowered by God's Spirit to accomplish the mission, to live out God's character in order to attract the rebellious world back to Him. The story ends with this promise. A day is coming when Jesus will return and He will restore God's kingdom on earth. A kingdom populated by God's people, those who pledge their allegiance to Jesus as their king. And this broken world will be restored, filled with light and life without end. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story we want you to know, we want you to learn. Um, there are seven uh, plot points. God's plan for humanity, the humans rebel, God chooses a people, God's people rebel, Jesus the king, the empowered church, and God's mission accomplished. We are in the third Sunday of God's plan for humanity. We have a long way to go. So today we are going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and, and these three verses may very well be the most important verses ever written about us humans, because they tell us who we are, why we're here, and how we're supposed to live. Now, because of that, every theological discussion about humans, they start with these verses, right? Every ethical discussion, every policy discussion, human rights, gender identity, abortion, euthanasia, racial attention, everything starts here, which means there are tons and tons written about these three verses. I am not going to cover all of that. Today, I want to do two things. Number one, I wanted to explain how these three verses fit into the storyline of the Bible. And the second, what that means for us. All right, the storyline of the Bible. The story so far, it's been two weeks. Two weeks ago, Pastor, Pastor Matt came up and said, hey, here is the most important thing that the Bible teaches, that the main character in the Bible is a personal and relational God. The creator God of the universe is looking to connect with us, which means the Bible is written to tell you about who this God is and to invite you into a relationship with him. That's week one. Week number two, Pastor Chris Kopp last week said, hey, this God created this physical world. 
And this physical world isn't just something, that, a project that God does for fun and walks away. No, 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 no. This physical world is his home. It's his domain. It's his temple. That's huge. God cares about this physical world. That was last week. So the story so far, we have a personal relational God who creates a physical world as his domain, as his home, as his temple. What should happen next? Well, if you're ancient Israelites, you would know what should happen next, but you're not. <laughs> and so this is where, you know, Bible is not written to us, but for us. And so here I want to help us gain some intuitions about what's happening in the story. So it's a hypothetical, okay? Just stay with me, okay? There's this hotshot billionaire. He wants to build his dream house here in Wisconsin. Uh, buys of a massive tract of land, designs and builds this massive mansion, like in a hundred rooms, indoor swimming pools, because, you know, we're in Wisconsin. Uh, State-of-the-art technology, eco-friendly eco lighting. There's, like, animals all over the yard, in the backyard. There's, like, lakes for trout for fishing. There's, like, hills for hiking and for downhill skiing. Really amazing place, okay? And so this billionaire is like, oh, man, I love this house. I love this estate. It's so wonderful. So what should he do next? Before he moves in, what should he do? Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Do you see what is happening in the story? Are you following the storyline? Right? A billionaire who has this massive mansion and estate is one to hire a manager. A king with a massive domain is going to hire governors to run his, fief, his, his kingdom on his behalf. A, a god with a brand new temple is going to want to recruit priests to take care of the temple. Manager, governor, priest. That's what happens when you read these verses within the storyline of the Bible. And of course, this answers right off the top one of the most common questions we get, which is, why did God create humans? And the answer, well, God's like, I made all this stuff. It's awesome. It's my stuff. It's where I want to live. But I'm God. I'm the king. So I want to hire somebody to run it for me. I want people to take care of it. And that's who we are, folks. We are created to run God's world. Now, that is not the whole answer. Okay? That's not the whole answer. But it is right there on the surface of the story. You can't really miss it, and we should not forget it. But I do want to go deeper. And when we go deeper, we need to begin by answering the question, what kind of a manager, or what kind of a governor, what kind of a priest is God looking for? And the text tells us, right? The text tells us. It says that we, the key word here is image. God is looking for somebody who is in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. Now, 
this is where theologians and pastors, they start talking in Latin. They'll say imago Dei, which is literally image of God in Latin. And I've always wondered, like, how does that help anybody? I mean, how does that help us understand anything? I think everything just sounds smarter in Latin. So we're not going to go with Imago Dei because it takes us out of the story. The story is written in Hebrew, okay? So we're going to go with the Hebrew <laughs> words, okay? The Hebrew is Telem Elohim. Telem Elohim. Uh, if you see the, the S with a dot underneath it, that's um, actually a T-S sound, like, a, like, a t, like, a, like the ending of the word rats, rats, so t, accent on the first syllable, Telem Elohim, repeat after me, Telem Elohim. Okay, a little louder, okay, Telem Elohim. Very good, image of God. This Hebrew phrase, Telem Elohim, has a very specific meaning. It's a physical representation of a deity. Here's one right here. This is a Telem Elohim. Um, this particular rock, the stele, is found in the Louvre. It's pretty tall, actually. It's about 56 inches, almost my height. Um, over here, we have an, an, another picture. It's not the same thing. It's, it's kind of a copy of it, but I put, I'm putting that one up there because you can actually see the details much better than the original. This is a Telem of a god, a particular god, a god uh, from the ancient uh, Palestine, his name is Baal, he is a storm god. And here I want to get to one of the common misconceptions that people have. Okay. So, people in the ancient world, they don't think their god looks like this. No. A person who worships Baal doesn't think, oh, Baal looks like this. They don't think that. No, 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 no. In the ancient world, a telem, an image, reveals the god's particular qualities and characteristics. Let me show you what I mean. Notice this. Notice this. You guys see that? That's his beard. The Baal has a long beard. He's old. Now here we have a cultural moment because uh, in our world, okay, in our culture, we worship youth. But in the ancient world, age is revered. It's venerated. It, it, it signifies maturity and wisdom. So of course, of course, Baal has a long beard. Of course he's old. He's wise and mature, but he is not a doddering old god. No, 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 you see this part. That is a classic warrior pose. He has this club over his head. He is about to unleash the power as a storm god. You also see here a spear in his left hand with what looks like tree branches coming off the back end. Remember, he is a storm god. He sends down lightning, he sends down rain, it hits the ground. After the rain is over, out sprouts vegetation. Baal is a giver of life. You see how this telem of Baal reveals his essential qualities, essential characteristics. Well, according to Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28, a human being reveals God's essential qualities and characteristics. A human being is the telem of the one true God. Now, you don't have to go to the Louvre to see one of those. You just have to look around. Now, I'm going to do an exercise. I'm going to ask you to do an exercise with me. And this is going to be really awkward. I apologize in advance. I'm really sorry. I want you to look to your right or to your left. Don't do it yet. Okay? And pick one person you're going to stare at. Okay. 
Now this is really important because we might get accidental eye contact, prolonged eye contact, and that'd be really awkward, it'd be a complete disaster. So please pick a person who's not looking at you. Okay? Pick a person you're, who you're not, who's not looking at you. I know it's gonna be awkward to be stared at, but this is important. I wanna do this, okay? So go ahead right now. Okay, don't look at me now. Look to your side, look at somebody else, okay? Okay, stare at them and just look at them and keep looking for a bit as I narrate what you're looking at. So ladies and gentlemen, what you're looking at is a real life Telem Elohim, an image of the one true God of the universe, crafted by that God, unique. No two are alike. So what you're looking at is of infinite worth, infinite value. What you're looking at, this Telem Elohim, this person in its entirety, reveals God's essential qualities and characteristics. Do you see their eyes? God can see everything in the world, including the depth of your heart. Do you see their ears? God can hear everything, every prayer, every cry of joy, every cry of despair. Do you see their mouth? God can speak so that people can hear, but he can speak into the heart of every single soul on this planet. Do you see their hands? God can manipulate the stars and the galaxies. The person you're looking at experiences emotions. God is a fount of powerful and healthy emotions. The person you're looking at thinks about things, but that is a pale reflection of God's sublime rationality. The person you're looking at has a will, a desire to make the world around them fit their desire. Our God has a will, a zeal to establish harmony for prospering life across this universe. What you're looking at is a Telem Elohim. That's the species you're looking at. And the person you're looking at reveals who God is. All right, you can look at me now. I noticed a lot of you gave up early. <laughs> Too challenging, I understand. But there's a reason I wanted us to do that exercise, okay? There's a reason for, for that, because so often we look at people and we don't see them as they truly are, right? So for me, this is very simple, right? I, I, I walk into a store and I see people transactionally, right? I'm here, I give you money, you give me a service. That's it, right? Or, or even worse, I see people as nuisance, like they're driving slowly in front of my car. Like, why are you driving, blocking my way? You're an obstacle. And what the Bible teaches is that there is a foundational baseline, a starting point to every human interaction. It doesn't matter where you are, at work, at school, at home, on the road, in a store, online, maybe especially online. Every human interaction begins with this. The person you're interacting with is a Telem Elohim, an image of God crafted by God himself with infinite worth, infinite dignity, infinite value. And they represent God's presence and they represent God's essential qualities and characteristics. That's the starting point to every human interaction. We need to get that. Now this idea that every person is made in the image of God, that was revolutionary in the ancient world. Now let me, let me, let me clarify. The idea that people can represent God, can image God, that's not new. That's actually been around. People in the ancient world thought that some people represented God. The key here is only certain people. 
Esarhaddon is an ancient king of Assyria. This is what he had to say. A free man is as the shadow of God. The slave is as the shadow of the free man. But the king, he is like unto the very image of God. Do you see that? The society is divided into three layers. On the bottom are the slaves. They are the shadow of the free. The free is a shadow of God, but there is the king. The king is the image of God. The king images God. Why? Because the king, because God is the emperor. God is the king. God is power. He rules. So the king, he images God. He rules. He has authority. Um, Queen Elizabeth passed away a few weeks ago. And um, she acceded to the throne in, in, in 1952, age 25, a young woman, right, becoming the queen of this massive empire. And um, a, a, a British theologian named C.S. Lewis, he was, he was observing, probably watching the coronation on television, wrote down these words. The pressing of that huge, heavy crown on that small, young head was a symbol of the situation of all people. Lewis gets it. Lewis understands what the Bible says about humanity, that, that all of us are made in the image of God, which means we're made to rule. We're made to be kings and queens. Davis says the same thing in Psalm 8. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than Elohim. NIV on the text says angels. Down below in the footnote will say God, because the word there is Elohim. That's the right translation. You have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. This is David reading Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. He's reading the passage we're reading, and this is his response. He's going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. God, you, you have given us authority and glory and power. can't believe this is so wonderful. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. That's David's response. Is this sinking in yet? Do you understand who you are yet? We bear God's image and we're created to rule God's world. Now, there is something else I haven't talked about yet about the image of God. And that is, the image of God doesn't just communicate God's authority or God's power or his presence. There's something else going on. And so, so I want you to think about this, okay? Just think about this. Here's a question for you. Who bears your image? Or maybe put it this way. Who looks like you? Who do you look like? Think about that, and I'm going to show you a passage that nobody reads. It's Genesis chapter 5. It's part of the genealogy. I get to preach out of the genealogy. I'm so excited today. We would never do this passage in a, like a regular series. Like it just wouldn't happen. Here we go. Okay. Genesis chapter 5. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. 
Adam had a son named Seth. And what is the basis of their relationship? Likeness, image. Seth is Adam's son. He has the image and the likeness of Adam. We humans are in the likeness of God. By the same logic, we are God's sons and daughters. Well, certainly Adam is, right? Adam is made in the image of God. He is God's son. That's the logic. Now, it doesn't say that here in this passage, okay? That's because it's just assumed. I mean, everybody knows that. That's, that's kind of obvious. The logic is obvious. So, but it does get said in another passage in the New Testament. It's another genealogy. I love it. Today's like focused on genealogy day. Okay, if you go to Luke, okay, this is the genealogy of Jesus. He's tracing Jesus, the son of, the son of, tracing all the way backwards. When you get to verse 37, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth. Whoa, right here, the son of Adam, and who is Adam? The son of God. Adam bears the image of God. He is the son of God. We bear the image of God. We are sons and daughters of God. That's the logic, folks. That's the logic. And that's who we are. That's who we are meant to be. Okay. So, um, and here we are now. We reach this, already in the story, we reach this critical juncture. Right? If you put up the, uh, the three slides, the three sentences, we are God's children, we bear God's image, we are created to run God's world. Right? This is who we are. And so, right at this moment, we need to retell the story from the beginning. Right? We started the story beginning with the billionaire looking for manager to run his mansion and his, and his estate. We had a king who's looking to, to, for governors to, to, to run the domain. We had a God who's recruiting priests for his temple. And that's still true. None of that's changed. But the dynamics is completely different, right? Previously, it's about hiring some outsiders to do a job. Now, it's a father who's like, I want to give away authority. I want to give away power. I want to empower you to do things and run things and help you flourish. I say, hey, kiddo, here's a project for the house. I know you've been watching me do this and you've been helping me, and I know you've been witching to give it a try, so here are the tools, here's the material. It's all yours. I'm going to sit right here. If you have any questions, come to me, ask me. Or, or maybe, maybe the father is this owner of this massive business conglomerate, and he, he takes a section, a, a, a part of the business, and he says, my, my child, take over this part of the business. It's a tough business environment, I know. I'm here. I have a lot of experience. Talk to me. We'll work on this together. We'll do this together. I want to help you. And by the way, that's exactly where the story goes. Right? Genesis chapter 2, how does the story go? And Lord God... Lord in all caps marks God's personal name. Yahweh God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay, that's Adam right there, okay? So what does God says to his son? 
hey, Adam, mow the lawn. That's his first job. Now, this first job does not go well. We'll find that out later. Okay. Okay. We're God's children. We're God's image. We bear God's image. We're created to run God's world. Here's the thing. It's all here, folks. This is our identity. It's so critical. The, The path to goodness and harmony and human flourishing runs right through here. And yet, the seeds of brokenness is sown right here as well because there are two ways to respond to this calling. One is to respond the way David does. Oh my God, this is amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise you, praise you, praise you. That's one response. The other response? Hmm. It's God's world. We are subordinate. You see, right at the very beginning of the story, the Bible is confronting us with the most fateful question that is posed to humankind. Do you want to run your world or do you want to run God's world? You see, you can't do both. It's either your world or God's world. It's either your will be done or God's will be done. There's no middle ground. And as the story goes forward, we're going to see that the human beings, they're going to say no to this identity. And we humans, we're going to forget this identity. Humans are going to say to God, we don't want to image you. We want to image ourselves. We don't want to run your world. We want to run ours. And then we're going to get into the consequences of that faithful decision And then the rest of the Bible is the story of this loving father who's trying to find a way to bring back his children. And when we jump to the end of the story, when we get to the end of the story, we're going to hear about the story of Jesus, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And the gospel is going to do many different things. But one of the things it does, it's going to restore humanity. Jesus is going to bring together a group of people who are going to recover their identity as the children of God, as the bearer of God's image. Now, it shows up in a bunch of places in the New Testament. I can't do all of them. I'm going to give you one passage, okay? Uh, This is from Romans. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Okay, now just, we're going to not talk about those two verbs for another sermon. What is happening? What is Jesus bringing about? It's recovering our forgotten identity. We are going to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. We're going to have the image of Jesus, who is the son of God, which means we're going to be his siblings. We're going to be God's children. We're going to be sons and daughters. We're recovering this identity. We have forgotten our identity. We are a people who have forgotten. And because we have forgotten this identity, we spin around in circles looking for some ways to figure out who we are and how we're supposed to live. 
And, and, we, and, we, and we have problems finding it. And have you, I don't know if you noticed, but this culture is working overtime to generate ways for us to, to gain significance, to gain meaning, to gain identity. And we, we, and we, and we just kind of grab around looking for things. Whether it's work or school or maybe national identity, maybe it's politics, maybe it's social media, maybe in recreation, maybe it's family, maybe it's relationship, we're casting around looking. And we can't find it. We try one, then we try the other. We bounce around. We listen to gurus. We listen to podcasts. But they don't know. It's blind leading the blind. And the Bible, God lays it out in the first chapter of his book. This is who you are. This is who you're meant to be. Right here, folks. We are God's children. We bear God's image. We're created to run God's world. Remember these three things. Now, I know you probably have tons of questions because these three statements are not simple statements. They are loaded, okay? Loaded with theology, loaded with philosophy, loaded with significance and impact on our lives. I can't give it all to you. We're gonna work our way through it through the series. But here's just a little taste, okay, of what they mean or some of the implications. We're God's children. It means my father knows me. My father loves me. My father wants me to know him and love him. We bear God's image. It means I'm created to represent God's presence in this world. I am created to reveal God's character in who I am and how I live. We are created to run God's world. I am created to exercise authority. I care about what God values. I seek to establish his rule on his earth as his partner. Just some of the implications of this identity, of this calling. This is who we're meant to be. Now, in the movies we talked about the very beginning of our time together, there's always that moment in the movie, the moment in the story where the, the character, main character has to make a decision, right? They have to go, wait, this is who I am. I need to consciously embrace it and then try to live it out. There's always that moment. Well, I, today could be that moment for us. Today, I want to invite you to consciously embrace who you're meant to be. Is this who you want to be? This is who God says you are. Is this who you want to be? If you do, I invite you to repeat after me as I read these sentences, okay? We are God's children. We bear God's image. We are created to run God's world. Let's do that again, okay? I want, I want us to remember this. Let's do it again. We are God's children. We bear God's image. We are created to run God's world. That's who we are. Let me pray for us. Father, we, you gave us this 
amazing calling right at the beginning of the story. And we humans, we have lost it, we have forgotten it, and we need to be reminded of it every day. So we pray for your help, your Holy Spirit to help us, remind us who we are, who we're meant to be. Not only that, you give us the joy that David has. And when he, re he, he reads about this and he's excited, we pray for that excitement, that joy, and, and that, that sense of glory and praise. Like, wow, what an amazing calling you've given us. We are amazing beings. We are your image. We are Tselem Elohim. So, Father, we, we want to know how to live that out. We want to embrace it and want to know how to live it out. We pray for your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.